everyone. So we're reading today from Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. So it's Matthew 25, 14 to 30, it's on page 994 of the Bibles in the pews. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. I will put you in charge. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has been given more... For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, good morning, everyone. uh, My name's Scott. It's uh, lovely to be here together with you this morning. Uh, Three quick things from me before we get underway. The first one is, uh, the lady who was unwell last week in our service, just want to let you know that she is doing fine. She was here earlier this morning at our 8 o'clock service and is in good nick, so if you are wondering how she's doing, she's doing well. Um, Connected to that, if um, you ever miss a talk here, um, for those sort of reasons, just any reasons, they're available um, on the... On the website, there's a little kind of section on the top line called Music, Media and Downloads, and you can kind of access it through there. And I would just commend that to you if you ever miss a week. You know, listen to it on the bus on the way to work or when you're mowing the lawn or when your spouse is annoying or whatever. Just, you know, whatever works for you is a good thing to do. Uh, Secondly, it's lovely to talk about the Lord's Prayer, uh, and it's just as good at encouraging to actually hear stories of answered prayers. So... In the next few weeks, we'll be looking for people to share stories of prayers that have been answered. So if 
there's a significant prayer of yours that has been answered in the last, you know, few years or so. We would love to hear it. We'd be very keen if you'd be happy to share it with the brothers and sisters um, for you to do that. So maybe write that down on a Connect card and pop it in the collection bag when it comes around or give the office a ring or let one of us know. That would be great as well. And just before we start, I do have to let you know it's a very important announcement that it's Bruce's birthday today. And uh, give him a clap. Uh, we're not going to sing happy birthday, but uh, Bruce just wants you all to know that he's very happy to be turning 13, uh, not 13, 39 again for the 13th time. So wish him a happy birthday, that'd be a good thing. All right, let's pray and uh, we'll get underway. Heavenly Father, <laughs> settle our hearts and speak through your scriptures and help us to listen with ears, with hearts, with lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Hanaland, Itia, Omepwe, Osostraland, Kenshins, Albany. They're the names of fantasy kingdoms that are randomly generated by a computer algorithm I discovered this week. You, you click a button and it generates a name for your own personal fantasy kingdom. Do you like any of those? I think they sound good for fantasy kingdoms. Using what I assume is the same computer algorithm, you can generate names of fantasy or fairy tale kings and queens and princes. In fact, you can even generate the plot lines for fairy tales. So click the button and see if you like any of these. This story is about a lonely prince who must outwit a witch, save a princess, defeat a giant to find a magic ring. Assistance comes in the form of a wise old woman. Or click again. This story is about a cowardly queen who must slay a monster, defeat a tyrant, find a magic ring to solve three riddles. Assistance comes in the form of a mighty weapon. Hmm. And I, uh, I just mentioned these when we're on the topic of your kingdom come because I think a number of us deep down are sceptical about the whole kingdom of God thing and the Christian faith in general, and just wonder whether it is in fact a fairy tale or a fantasy story, a fantasy kingdom like this. This story is about a poor carpenter's son who performs miraculous signs and gains a following but is betrayed by his group of friends into the hands of his enemies who put him to death. He surprisingly rises back to life. Assistance comes in the form of dot, dot, dot. Now, we'd never say it as plainly as that, of course, but could that be the reason why we find ourselves pretty compromised a lot of the time in the Christian life? We've got a, a foot in the kingdom of God and a foot in the kingdom of the world. I mean, that's almost the definition of compromise, isn't it? Because we're not always sure that there really is a kingdom of God. Of course, we don't need to be convinced that there's a kingdom of the world, but, but is the kingdom of God stuff all made up? And if it is, man, I better just hedge my bets. And deep down, I wonder if that is the space that a lot of us are in a lot of the time. Uh, of course, there's an opposite vibe there usually is. And uh, you hear this from time to time, usually out of American churches, and they don't need to be convinced that there's such a thing as the kingdom of God. And that's mainly because they think that they are bringing it on earth right here, right now. You listen to them and they'll say, Jesus is the king for sure, 
but he's not on earth anymore and that means that we need to carry on his work and bring the kingdom to bear upon our society and that sort of theology that sort of vibe drives a lot of the kind of social justice ministry that goes on and if you were to just say to them so you mean with all the good stuff you're doing social justice and uh caring for people and and stuff that's genuinely good all that sort of stuff you're pointing to the kingdom right you're witnessing to the kingdom you're speeding the coming of the kingdom they would say no we're bringing the kingdom that's what we're doing right now right here on earth and so kind of at one end of the scale you've got skepticism over whether there's such thing as the kingdom of god at all and at the other end you've got folks who think they're bringing the kingdom of god to earth right here right now and you've got to work out how do we make sense of all that well, this third line of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, is going to be kind of immensely helpful in figuring that out. As Justin said earlier, we're into our third week of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, uh, first week, our Father in heaven. Uh, last week, hallowed be your name, which you didn't hear, but you can get available on the podcast. And today, it's your kingdom come. And we need to understand what it means to pray this or say this. And we need to then work out how that changes the way we pray and the way we live. And so firstly then this morning, what does it mean to pray or to say your kingdom come? Most obviously it refers to a kingdom, doesn't it? And that infers that there is a king. In the first instance, the king is God. Now we heard that in the reading last week and uh, the message last week as well. Uh, you remember in Isaiah... That's what he saw. He, he saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And you remember his response? He says, Woe to me, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so the King is firstly God. And you see God's kingdom unfold in different ways throughout the Old Testament. It's right there in the beginning, actually, in the Garden of Eden, where God exercises his rule over the created order, over the first humans. But that, of course, went south, or east, actually, wasn't it? Um, when the first humans disobeyed God and were exiled, removed from the garden. And then after a long time, God exercises his kingly rule over his people of Israel through one of his kind of anointed or appointed kings, but that again went kind of east, again, I think, when the people kept wandering from God and were exiled out of the land of Israel. And so although God is the king in heaven, faithful Israelites back then were expectantly waiting for the arrival of a long-promised king on earth. And so when Jesus comes to earth, you might remember that amongst his first words in Mark chapter 1, he says this, The time has come the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now you think to yourself, why does he say the kingdom of God is near? Well, it's because the king is here, right? And immediately you see evidence that Jesus is some kind of king. Now, this is something you actually want to kind of uh, track down in your small groups this week or chat about over coffee in the function room later. But, but you see it straight away. You see people follow him like the disciples at once immediately and he's got this kind of authority over disease and demons and sin and death and nature and people were amazed because his words had authority unlike the other teachers and preachers of religious things that were around at the time 
And so under God, king over everything, Jesus exercises his kingship when he came to earth. Now, I was in uh, shops just the other day, and you will not be at all surprised to discover that hot cross buns are already out on the shelves, aren't they? Now, who's been sneaky and had one already? Come on, admit it. Excellent, I'm in good company. A lady at 8 o'clock told me they were there in the first week of January. I thought, that's ridiculous, isn't it? At least wait until Valentine's Day. Anyway, don't know what you think about that. I'm very happy with that uh, because I love hot cross buns. And you think about hot cross buns, obviously, obviously, they're associated with Easter, aren't they? I mean, the cross on the top of the bun, clear Easter symbol representing the cross on which Jesus was crucified for our sins in our place to bring us to God for our benefit. Jesus' death is obviously what we remember at Easter time, but think, are the buns themselves Easter? I mean, they're connected to Easter, but they're not themselves Easter, are they? They point to Easter, they remind us that Easter is on its way, they capture something of the essence of Easter, but they're not themselves Easter. And you might like to think of Jesus' miracles and his healings and his parables and his teachings as being a little bit like those hot cross buns. They point to the kingdom. They show us something of what the kingdom of God will ultimately be like. And they remind us that the kingdom is coming, but they themselves are not the kingdom. Ultimately, it wasn't his miracles, it wasn't his teachings, it wasn't his parables that brought in the kingdom of God. It was his death and resurrection, especially his resurrection, which was evidenced by hundreds, if not thousands, of eyewitnesses who saw the crucified, killed Jesus, raised back to life. That means definitively he defeated sin, death, and the devil. And it means that the kingdom of God has been established or initiated among us as a matter of historical and also spiritual fact. So if you are a Christian today, you can say with confidence you're a part of the kingdom of God. Not because you're great, but because he's great. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're caught up in the kingdom of God. But this third line of the Lord's Prayer reminds us that it is not here in its finality. Uh, There's a sense in which we're just like the Old Testament people of God who are waiting for a coming king. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're actually looking for the return of Jesus, for that time when he will usher in the kingdom of God with all finality, where there will no longer be need for miracles to point to the kingdom because it will be here among us, And there will be no disease, and there'll be no death, and there'll be no temptation, and there'll be no sin and no conflict and no stress and no anxiety and no depression and nothing evil at all, either within us or outside of us. When we pray this line, we are praying for Jesus to come back. We are praying for him to come back soon, and we are asking him to bring the kingdom of God in all its finality and glory and wonder and perfection. That's what we're praying. Your kingdom come indicates that we don't bring the kingdom, but that God brings the kingdom when Jesus returns. And so anything we might do by way of you know, outreach, uh, mission, evangelism, social justice, loving our fellow human, all those good things, none of those things bring God's kingdom on earth, but, but it sure proclaims it. It sure witnesses to it. 
It sure is a parable of it. It's a pointer towards the kingdom which is coming when Jesus returns, when the kingdom will be ushered in in all finality. His kingdom come. Not a fairy tale. It's not a fantasy kingdom. It exists wherever God rules his people with his customary grace and love and truth. And though the pattern of the kingdom was uh, established throughout the Old Testament and illustrated in the life of Jesus, it was really inaugurated with the death and resurrection of Jesus and it will come in its fullness when he returns. And all that is consumed in those three words when we pray, your kingdom come. So I hope that kind of um, is clear enough. The second question for the day is, how does praying your kingdom come change us? How does it change our lives? How does it renovate our prayer lives? What difference does it make to life and to prayer itself? Very important questions to answer. And do you know, I think the very first thing praying those three words does is it changes the passions of our heart. Uh, You remember or you may not remember, but last week after the address of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven, you know, the next three lines all address God's concerns. Have you noticed that? Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's quite a ways before um, our kind of shopping lists of personal requests are even tabled which kind of reminds us that those pressing requests can wait. You know, even the really important requests like forgiveness, I mean, that's not a small thing. Or spiritual protection, that's not a small thing, but even those things can wait. But, you know, even further, praying this line of the prayer reorients us away from the kingdom which we're most concerned with normally, which is our own personal kingdom. And so we pray this, those three words, we're, we're willing His kingdom not our kingdom. We will it, if I can put it that way. That is, we surrender our will, we don't impose our will upon God. You know what we normally do, Christians, in prayer? We want to impose our will upon God and get Him to bring our kingdoms to come. But prayer is actually the opposite, isn't it? It's when we surrender our will to God rather than imposing it upon God and we say, your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. We must will that kingdom his kingdom. I had a friend once, which is, you know, miraculous and all, but, uh, and he complained to me and he said that his dad, every time, every time he wanted to print something off at home, his dad was a printer Nazi. And I said, what's a printer Nazi? I imagine you've never had to ask that question. What's a printer Nazi? And he told me that every time he sent something to the printer, his dad would go berserk. And uh, I empathise with my friend but I actually take the side of his father. I think there's a good reason for being printer Nazi. And this is it. You see, when his dad brought the family home, he looked at it and he would have thought, this is my castle. This is my kingdom. But ever since that day, you see, his kingdom has just been shrinking. It really has. I mean, he thought the whole house was his kingdom, right? But then maybe when the kids arrived, like my friend, their stuff had to go somewhere and uh, it went in his living room. And typically it went all over his living room. No matter, he thinks, my kingdom still consists of my bedroom and my office. But then he discovers that his bedroom also gets used to store their stuff or just stuff in general. And ladies, 
I'm not saying this is always the case. I'm just saying it's a possibility in some households. But maybe, just maybe, his wife starts taking over some of his bit of the hanging rails. Is that a possibility? No. Come on, get real. Um, and he got the much shorter hanging rail to begin with. And he goes, no matter, it doesn't matter. My, off- my kingdom still consists of my office. But then these days, you know, the kids have got to do their homework on a computer. And so now his office has been invaded with textbooks and worksheets and things like that. But he contents himself with a kingdom that consists of a 10-centimeter border around his printer. That's now his kingdom. And that's why whenever he hears it wearing into action, he goes berserk and becomes printer Nazi. He's not worried about the cost of toner. It's just like the sound of the last vestiges of his personal kingdom eroding once and for all. Now, the truth is, people, that all of us have our own personal kingdoms, don't we? I mean, think about it, don't we? It might be our program of achievements. It might be a, a list of ambitions. It might be the life that we're creating for ourselves and our families. Uh, it might be a legacy that we'd like to leave. It might be a bucket list we want to work through. And often what we're most concerned with in life is the coming of our kingdoms. Our kingdom come is often what we spend all our energy on. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, what we're doing is we're turning that whole thing upside down. And we're saying to God, actually, we want to be more devoted to your kingdom than to our own personal kingdoms, even as we carry on with our regular normal lives. Does that make sense? What I'm suggesting is that we can serve a kingdom that was here before us. We can serve a kingdom that will last beyond us and is altogether greater than our personal program of ambitions or legacy or bucket list that we are creating. And I'm suggesting that that is a great kingdom to serve. I wonder if that's what you mean when you pray, your kingdom come. It means we will his kingdom not our kingdoms. And so we will it. Uh, Secondly, we want it. And I mean kind of we really want it. And don't you reckon that when most of us pray the Lord's Prayer, that line, we really want to add a qualifying statement to that line? Your kingdom come. But after I go on my Rhine River cruise in May, I mean, I've already paid for it, and it sounds excellent. Holland, Belgium, France, Germany, finishing up in Switzerland. All expenses included and fly for free if you book now. Business class. Or maybe your kingdom come, but not until I get married. Or uh, not until I see my children get married or my grandchildren get married. Or your kingdom come, but I've got this great idea for a business and I'd love to see it fly. Or your kingdom come, but could you just let me enjoy manly for a bit? I've just moved here and it's lovely place. I just want to kind of hang out for a bit. You know, I just think sometimes we're so dumb, aren't we? We think the fulfillment of God's kingdom will be a downgrade from Europe or even manly. That when perfection will be ushered in when Jesus returns, that's somehow going to be inferior to seeing our grandchildren get married or to running a successful business. Just so silly. Let me say, if you're a Christian and you don't want to say, your kingdom come, Jesus, please return now, something is deficient in your faith. You might be too devoted to your own personal kingdom or you might be too in love with this world 
and there are some good questions to ask yourself. I, um, I totally get that you think that um, us ministers types are basically a... I mean, you never say it to us because you're polite, but we're basically a separate species of individuals. I know you think that we don't live in the real world and we don't understand normal life, and actually I think you're kind of right. Uh, typically, I reckon we inhabit kind of the extremes of life, you know, the, the best 10%, the happiest, most beautiful 10%, and then the other 10%, the, the really difficult 10%, the sad 10%. You know, we hold people's hands when they're dying or we sit in emergency departments with drug addicts as they're coming off their highs and drive them to their homes that are barely livable and visit people who've got sick kids or just talk to people battling all kinds of tensions, all kinds of strife, conflict, wayward kids, spiritual attack. Most of the time we feel pretty impotent to help actually other than by listening and praying. And uh, it's not a complaint at all, it's a privilege. And we, we count it as privilege because it really is. And at the other extreme, we see you know, just wonderful things like um, people come in t- together in marriage and uh, new life and people overcoming great obstacles and, and people exhibiting great perseverance, generosity, uh, extraordinary service and acts of kindness and all other manner of wonderful things that we feel undeserving to even witness. And I think what I'm trying to say is that the sad is sad enough and the good is not quite good enough for us to say, God, just hold off. Would you mind waiting your kingdom come, but just give us a while to work through the, the bucket list. Friends, a trip to Europe cannot compare to the splendor of the universe we will inherit when Jesus returns. And uh, my son's eventual wedding on the waterfront in Sydney somewhere, it's going to be a lovely thing, I'm sure, and something totally legitimate to anticipate. But what I'm really waiting for is the wedding of the Lamb, where we'll be joined to Jesus for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, that will be the show. That will be the show. And we must want it, really. It will be better than anything we know on earth. Your kingdom come. It will be better. And so we will it, and we want it, and thirdly and finally today, we witness to it. Will it, want it, witness to it. And as I think about your kingdom come, maybe there is one condition that we can properly attach to it. Your kingdom come, but please use me in dragging other people into it before you arrive. It's not the waterfront weddings, it's not the Euro travel, which are good things for sure, they really are, that's going to focus our thoughts before Jesus returns, bringing in his kingdom with all finality. It is, how do I witness to the coming kingdom? How do I serve the king while I wait for his return? And that parable that Mitch read out to us from Matthew's gospel, it's a, it's a personal favorite of mine. I love it. You know the story, right? The master goes on the long journey. He entrusts his servants with talents while he's away. Now, a, a talent in Jesus' time was a significant sum of money uh, rather than like an ability like um, athletic prowess or musical abilities or whatever. Think back to the story. Two servants put their talents, their money to work, and they earn more. 
And there's a lazy servant, and he hid his talent in the ground where it just got dirty. Now the master returns, bring the kingdom in all its fullness with him. That's kind of the subtext. And to those who put what he had entrusted to them to work, the master is well pleased. Hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Are they not the words you are most looking forward to hearing when you depart this life? Or when Jesus returns, whichever comes earlier. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Friends, let me tell you, those are words that are dripping with delight. And we will hear them if we put what he has entrusted us to work. And uh, that means that a question you've really got to ask yourself today is, what has Jesus entrusted to me? You know, for all of us, Christians, non-Christians here this morning, he has before anything else entrusted us with the news of himself. He's put before us an offer of life and salvation that is found only in himself. And I would say to you today, humbly, respectfully, politely, but urgently, Do not bury that underground, refusing to face up to its claims. For that has eternal consequences, which are not good eternal consequences. His kingdom is coming. It's what the rest of us are praying for. And time is short, and you really don't want to stuff around. Now, many of us here have taken up that offer of salvation and have given our allegiance and our future and our lives to Jesus And his great gospel message, again, not because we're great, but because he's great. And we've surrendered our wills to him. We really have. And yet he entrusts us still with many other things that are to be put into his service while we await his returns, his return. Now, talents, in my view, uh, are representative not just of wealth or even natural abilities, but actually anything that we have that can be used to witness to the coming kingdom and serve the king while we wait for him. So let me ask you the question that you really ought to ask yourself um, sometime later on today. Have you got wealth? Have you got time? Have you got energy? You know, a bit of get up and go. Have you got abilities? Have you got people you're in relationship with? Have you got other opportunities to serve him and witness to his coming kingdom? Because when we pray your kingdom come, we're not just asking for Jesus to return. We're asking him to let us serve him in the meantime. For God to give us a chance to reach family and friends. For an opportunity to serve our community with acts of mercy and compassion that point to the coming kingdom in much the same way as Jesus' compassion and miracles pointed to the the kingdom that he would bring. Giving us a glimpse of what it would be like when there is no more pain when there is no more injustice, when there is no more suffering. Friends, we don't bring the kingdom, but we witness to it, and we proclaim it, and we point to it, and we open the door for others to enter into. And our words and our witness are like signposts. But that, of course, assumes that we're good and faithful servants, using whatever we have, no matter how um, small we feel we are, no matter the size of our perceived significance, using whatever we have to serve the King and to point to the coming kingdom. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying that we might be of use to the King 
while we wait for him to return. Now, I do understand why sometimes, just as we finish, certainly subconsciously, we think the kingdom of God might be a fairy tale, a bit of a fantasy kingdom. But you know, the king came to earth. That's the thing, isn't it? And his life and his work indicated the kind of kingdom he would bring. And then he died. And then he rose to life in the presence of hundreds, if not thousands, of eyewitnesses. And that means the kingdom has been initiated. But like Old Testament believers, we're waiting for a coming king, coming to bring that kingdom of God in all its wonder and perfection and glory. So as we pray those three words, your kingdom come, we're praying that his kingdom, not our personal kingdoms, would fill our imagination. We're asking that we will want it more than we want anything here on earth because it will surpass anything we can experience here on earth. And we are asking to be involved with whatever we have to witness to its coming and to serve the King before he returns. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. Friends, in a moment we're going to say the words of the Lord's Prayer together. It'd be silly to talk about it and not say it. Before we do that, I'm going to give us uh, 30 seconds or a minute of quiet. There'll be a chance for you just to reflect. Uh, it might be an opportunity for you to, to silently and privately confess to God just that you have had a foot in the kingdom of the world as well as the kingdom of God, that you do love this world and maybe it's your bucket list or maybe it's your program of ambitions and achievements. Maybe you're more concerned with your personal kingdom than his kingdom and that would be something to bring before God in prayer. Uh, maybe you might just want to reflect on how you can use what you have to serve the king while you wait for his return. So 30 seconds or a minute of quiet, and then we'll say the words of the Lord's Prayer together. Band, why don't you guys come up and get ready? Okay, there's thunder above. I think that's the cue, isn't it? Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forevermore. Amen. Friends, we are going to finish our time together by singing. Uh, this is also our offertory song. Collection bags will come around. If you filled out a Connect card, you want to put your Connect card in that little collection bag as it comes around. Um, there's also going to be people up the front here who are ready for folks to come up and pray with them. If there's something that has just been stirred in your heart or just anything that you'd like to chat through or pray through, feel free to come down the front here while the song is being sung and certainly afterwards. 
Uh, let's stand together and finish by singing a wonderful song. <laughs>